Good morning. So we're uh, in this series on being a disciple. I am, I am a disciple. So a couple of things uh, we always have to make sure that we're remembering is that a disciple in the Greek is a mathetes. Mathetes means student or pupil. So when we start talking about that I am a disciple, what you're saying is, I mean, if you agree with this series, that I am a student of Christ. I want to be a student. I want to learn from him. I want to learn more about who he is. I want to learn about how he wants me to live. I want to be his student. That's what a, a disciple is. A disciple in the first century, this, this shed so much, so much light on the true understanding of all this. Because when you start thinking about the first century, they, the, these, uh, the, the Jews, they wanted to be a student of a rabbi. So they would follow that rabbi. They would ask that rabbi questions. They would ask that teacher, you know, um, what do you believe about this? What do you think about that? And they would ask all these questions. They would allow that, that rabbi to have authority in their life. They, he would speak life and, 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 and teach them. And so Jesus, in the same way, this is being a student is like, I want to know more about Jesus. And I want to, Jesus, I want to not only learn about, about who you are, but I want to I learn about the plans that you have in my life. And, and Jesus, I want to follow you. You see, that's the first message that we had was called to follow. Every single human, billet, um, human um, person, we are all called. Every human is called to follow. Every one of us. Now, last week, we went a little bit further and we, taught, we looked at the, the, the story about where Jesus went on the mountainside to pray and He called His disciples up to Him and out of the multitude of disciples He began to choose or appoint out of that group 12 who would serve as apostles. We talked about how if, I, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old is gone and behold, all things are becoming new. And it talks about how God gave to every believer a ministry of reconciliation. He gave to every Christian a ministry, a message of reconciliation. And we are called to be Christ's ambassadors. So all of us who surrender to Christ are appointed to represent. That's what an ambassador is. When you think about an ambassador, he represents the king and he would go talk to another king. He would talk to other people about his king. He's a representative. So that's what a Christian is, a representative. So not only are you called to follow Christ, you're appointed to represent him. And here today, we're going to talk about how we are equipped to serve him. If you're truly a student, you serve your teacher. You're not above your teacher, you serve the teacher. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Right after he appointed his apostles, he then began to teach them. So what we're going to do is, uh, I, I want you to, I've heard this statement a lot, and I don't necessarily, I've heard it so much, you just sometimes accept it, and then I started thinking, I said, this is not really a true statement. Have you, how many of you have heard, God, does not, or God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. How many of you have heard that? Okay, I don't quite accept that statement, and here's why. The moment that you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you are qualified. Now what I will say is this, God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. I will say that, I'll agree with that 100%. But when, if we're going to talk about what qualifies me, the Holy Spirit automatically qualifies me. So, not that I think that that was a, a, a major, you know, horrible, terrible, evil thing. I just think that I, I look at that and I'm like, you know, really, if you're thinking about that, the moment we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit, that kind of does 
qualify, right? So, but I don't, doesn't mean I'm yet equipped. So here's the thing. When we start thinking about a lot of reasons why people don't surrender to the Lord is that they don't feel like they know enough. They don't feel like they're ready. There's so many things. A, a lot of times, ha, ha, when we talk about like even sharing our faith, a lot of people say, well, I, I just don't think I know enough to share my faith. That's a, like a fear of inadequacy. Like, I don't feel like I'm ready. How, any, anybody struggle with that? Like, I don't think I know enough. I don't think that I'm ready. Um, um, a fear of rejection. I'm afraid that they'll say no to me, right? You, we have all these different fears of why we don't share our faith. I want to I squash that for just a moment. I, I, I want to I I challenge you to rise above the fear. Because I want you to really think about this. Do you believe that there's a heaven? Amen? How many of you on the other side believe there's a hell? Right? So there's a heaven and there's a hell, right? So let's say that you're a, a friend of somebody and you're afraid that that friend, your neighbor, a coworker, somebody that you actually care about, right? So somebody that you care about. You're like, I don't want that person to go to hell, but I'm afraid of sharing with them. What kind of friend am I if I don't share? Because I'm allowing them to continue down a road straight to hell, and I'm watching it. Don't allow fear to keep you from sharing the best thing that's ever happened to you. What is better than Jesus in your life? Because if you can tell me one thing, then you don't know the same Jesus that I know. Because if you really know Jesus, there's nothing better in your life than Jesus. So why wouldn't you want to share the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life with somebody you care about? See, the fear, that's not from God. In fact, 1 John 4, he says, God's perfect love drives out all fear. Allow His love to flow through you that you love somebody so much that you're not going to allow the little fears that are speaking in your ear to stop you from sharing the best thing that's ever happened to you. So the thing is, a lot of us say, well, I just don't feel equipped. Well, that's what we're, uh, we're going to do today. So I want you to turn, like I said, in the, in your, in the Bible to Luke chapter 6. And so we're going to pick up at verse 17, and we're actually going to have to move pretty rapidly, but we're going to read these teachings that Jesus gave. So here's the big question. As we're reading through, we're going to ask this question over and over and over. What does God equip his disciples with? Because if we're going to talk about that God's going to equip us for for serving him in whatever capacity that is. And guys, when I talk about like serving God, I'm not necessarily saying that every one of you has to go get involved in organized ministry. I'm just saying is that we need to be prepared to serve the king at any moment that he calls. If you're driving down the road and he calls you to pull over and help somebody on the shoulder, that's serving the king. If you're, if, if, if you're at, the, at work and you see somebody in need, that might be the king saying, hey, I need you to serve me right now. There's something I need you to do. So serving the king does not have to allow, it's only on a Sunday morning do I need to serve the king. I serve the king 24-7. Sometimes he just only has me to do something on a Tuesday morning that week. But whenever he calls, I respond, right? So he's going to equip us for that. And so uh, in, in chapter 6, Verse 17, it says, he came down with them, all right, so, um, you know, and stood on a level place. So, that's the first, first verse there, 17, he went down with them. So, I, I asked a couple of simple questions, kind of get us warmed up. I have a test today that I'm going to give you. So, them who? 
Think about this. You've got to remember last week, he went up on the mountainside. Up on the mountainside. That's going to answer the second question. And he was praying. And then he called his disciples up to him. So when we're talking about who is them, the 12 apostles that he pulled out of the group, right? And he appointed them apostles. So we know they're at least right there with them. Then we don't know if the other ones stuck around or if they kind of went back down the hill, but we do know Jesus and these 12 apostles are up on this mountainside. So them is at least them. We know that the apostles are coming down. So he says that they came down, okay? So that means they're coming down from the mountainside. They stood on a level place, right? Now the next thing it says is it says, a large crowd of his disciples. I love this. A large crowd. A large crowd of his disciples. So at this point, early on in Jesus' ministry, there's already a large crowd of disciples. Remember that a disciple is a student. They want to learn under Jesus. So he didn't have a formal application if you wanted to be. They said, we want to hear more of what he says. We will follow him from town to town to see what he teaches, to see what he does, and we are going to be his students. That's what a disciple is. They are people following Jesus wherever he went to learn from him. Not only was there a large crowd of his disciples, but then, and a great number of people. So there was other people there that have not made any form of commitment to follow him. A student follows, submits to their teacher. And then there was a large crowd around also wanting to see what he had to say. What he would do. So I said, who is the all, right? A large crowd of his disciples. Great number of people from all over Judea. Wow. So, then comes the next part. Next verse. Verse 18. Who had come? Who had, who had come? So all of these large group of disciples, a large gathering, a crowd, his, his apostles, they all came who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. So I ask, and these, I said, they're all simple questions. Why did they come? Why did they come? And I highlighted it to make it real easy for you. I'm, I'm warming you up here, all right? So it should be pretty simple. But one of the things that I want, I'm doing this on purpose. When you read the Bible, ask questions. And see if the Bible verse that you're reading answers the questions. Because if you start answering and asking questions through the Word itself, you're going to start seeing the story unfold. Here is Jesus. He spent all night on an, a mountainside. He's praying to His Father who He should... There's a large group of disciples to choose from. And they all wanted to be chosen. Father, who do I select out of this? Who do I appoint to be an apostle? Who's ready? And then he appoints them. The others didn't leave him. The other ones didn't quit. They're still there. Still students, still disciples, still following. And now more people had gathered and all the people, the disciples and the other crowd, they came for two purposes, to hear him and to be healed. They'd heard that he could heal, so they came. Could you heal me? Now in verse 18, it goes on to say, those troubled by evil spirits were cured. All the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him 
and healing them all. I can tell you this Friday night as we sang and we worshipped in this place, you could feel the presence of God. And when you can feel the presence of God, you feel His power. Have you ever sat in the presence of God and then all of a sudden you're like, God could do anything right now. I mean, that's really literally how you feel. You're like, oh, I feel the presence of God right now. Anything's possible. So what happened is Jesus is healing people. He's touching. Now all of a sudden they're like, there's power coming out of this guy. We just need to touch him. Can you imagine everyone who was sick and had a disease? They didn't have a lot of medications and they didn't have doctors like we have today and all the people who had felt sicknesses in their body. Can you imagine the crowd pressing upon Jesus? See, a lot of times we don't ask and think about what the situation. He says there's a large number of disciples and a large crowd. This crowd is a big crowd. And they're all there because they, two things. I want to hear him but I need a touch from him. And they were doing whatever they could do just to touch Jesus. What if we worshipped like that? I mean, think about it. What if you showed up to church and said, man, I just need a touch God today. I just need a touch today. And you're willing to press in and just say, God, I need this from you. Wouldn't that change our lives? And what if, it, what if it wasn't just on a Sunday? What if Monday morning you woke up and said, God, I'm going to sit here in my quiet time with you until I get a touch from you. I need your power just to get through the day. See, God is not a Sunday, one day a week God. He's 24-7. So we, all of them were pressing around to get a touch. So then, here's the question. What did God equip His disciples with? Ability to heal? Authority to drive out demons? Teaching? A, B, C, or all of the above? You know, if you're like me and you're taking a test, all of the above is very tempting all the time. Let's just circle it all, right? Think about that though, right? Before you answer, think about it. Did Jesus give them the ability to heal or was he healing people? This is different, right? Did he give them the authority at that moment to drive out demons or was he driving out demons himself? See, a lot of times we jump to the end because we know how it ends. But at this moment, remember, they were just, the 12 apostles were just now appointed. They sir weren't ready. He appointed them, hey, I'm going to give you a specific ministry, but we still got some equipping to do. Instead, we're about to see what he did instead. He healed. He drove out demons. So here's the deal. God equips the called with this, a teaching that leads to a change in your character. One of the things, if you, uh, you can ask any of my leaders, any of the leaders that have been with me for very long, I say this all the time, you cannot minister beyond your character. I say that all the time. You cannot minister beyond your character. Because what happens is this. You see people, and you see their charisma. You see how excited they are for the Lord. They, 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 they just got saved. They just got baptized. They're super excited, and your excitement's building because of their excitement, Right? And then all of a sudden, you thrust them into something before they're ready. 
guilty. A lot. I get excited about people. As a pastor, I get excited about people. And then I, I, I appoint too quickly. I elevate way too quickly. And the thing is, is then all of a sudden what happens is we're, 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 we're running on potential and, and a charisma. You've been around somebody that's excited about what's going on in their life, but yet they haven't stood the test of time. They haven't finished out. And here's the deal. There's still some sin in their life that they haven't dealt with that no one knew about, right? But them. Here's the deal. When you start thinking about whatever God is calling me out to do, I first have to be that right person. I have to be before I do. And so many people don't want to take the time to actually grow up in the Lord. They don't actually want to take the time that it takes to grow up in character and become a man of God and a woman of God. you got to become a man of God before you can lead men. you got to become a woman of God before you can lead women or you will lead them down the wrong path. And guess what? It takes time to become a man of God. To become a woman of God. Character must be developed. So let me tell you, Henry Blackaby gave a definition for character that is my, I, I've used it ever since college. This is my favorite definition for character. It comes in four parts. Number one, what you do when no one is looking. When no one is around you, there's no accountability for you. What are you doing? You see, there's a lot of people who, whose sin is just out in front of everybody. They're at the bar. And then some people are doing it at home and nobody knows. What are you doing and looking at on your phone when no one else is holding you accountable? You see, part of your character is what no one else can see but God knows. Because you're responsible for your character. You. So what do you do when no one is looking? What are the things that you're thinking about when no one is watching? The second part just as important as the first part, what you stand for when everyone's looking. So when you're at work, do you, are, do you talk differently on a Sunday morning than when you're hanging out with the guys at the, at the work site? Huh? Right? Here's, you you want to know how you really know if your number two is doing well is that when you are around guys that are uh, going to be telling bad jokes or speaking... Um, badly or cursing a lot and and your life has changed so much that they apologize to you when they do it that's when you know your character is growing is your character just the person that you've become is already convicting them and they're not even following the same criteria that you are but if they don't feel any guilt they don't feel anything and they just keep on going along, then they don't really know much about you, and then maybe they've seen some things in you that doesn't really match up with what you say you believe. See, what do I stand for? And here's the thing is, is our children are in a very scary place in the public schools now. The things that our public schools are allowing to happen, the, the, the public schools, you know, they, they feel like they have no power to stand on what is true. And not even talking about spiritual truth, just what's true. A boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. That is truth. It's not hard to tell. But when schools allow you to be, a, be, be not what you, the truth is, and our kids are being raised in that, 
how hard it will be for our children to stand for the right thing when everything around them is doing wrong. You start seeing it happen when you start looking at this. I start thinking about how much the, um, Hollywood has impacted the family. How many people will not do their relationships the way that God shows it in His Word. And they say, well, everybody else is doing it. Well, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it okay in the eyes of God. So are you going to stand for the right thing when everyone else isn't? That's character. It's saying that I will not bend to this because I know it's wrong. I will stand for what's wrong when everyone else, I will stand for what's right when everyone else is doing wrong. Third part, who you desire to be. See, if you don't desire character, you'll never get it. This is my favorite part for, for, for most because a lot of people said, man, Daniel, I am failing at number one and number two, but I don't want to. That's good. See, one of the things I remember is that when I was growing up, I knew that I knew that when I looked at myself in the mirror, what kind of a man I was when I compared what, who I was to who my grandfather was. And I looked at my grandfather, and I'm like, wow, that's a man that I want to be like. Number three says that I'm already growing in character because I want to be better than what I am. And you know, I told myself all through college, every day through college, if I could become half the man my grandpa, half, if I could just be half that man, I would be a great man. I will become a great man. I'll become a great husband. I'll become, if I could just be half of what he is. And so what I did is I would come home, and my grandma and grandpa never even knew this, why I came. I came home. I didn't go to my mom's house. I didn't go to my dad's house. I went to my grandma and grandpa's house. And every morning, my grandma would, would, would shout up the, she would sing a song, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, oh, how do you do? And then I would smile. My grandma's waking me up earlier than what I want to be woke up, but it's my grandma and I'm going down. And I would sit at the end of the table, I would drink coffee, pretend that I'm reading my Bible, and I'm just watching them. I'm watching them hold hands and pray over every person that asked them to pray for them. I'm like, this is the cutest, awesomest, coolest thing I've ever seen. When you find somebody that you, that you know is truly a man of God or a woman of God, Study them so that you can be more like them. And I'm not saying don't imitate Christ, but sometimes that can be kind of impossible feeling. I can't do it. Jesus, why can't, can you imagine being a brother of Jesus? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Come on, that's funny. It's all right. So, you guys aren't awake. The second group will be more awake. I'm just kidding. Okay, so... Who you desire to be, all right? So find someone out there. Now the fourth part, this is huge, what you can be trusted with. And I used to, to be honest with you, I used to leave this out of my definition all the time because I was like, ow, it's not the best part. And I'm now thinking it probably might even should bounce up to number one because I've been around enough as a pastor to, to start realizing the important, like my, I remember my dad told me when I was very, very young, Daniel, don't you ever lie. I don't care how bad you mess up, don't lie. Don't lie about it. Even if it leads to you getting a spanking of your life, you don't lie. Why, Dad? He said, because here's the thing is, the moment you lie, then we'll, know, we'll never know if we can ever believe you. We'll always question if you're telling the truth. 
But if you never lie, no matter how bad you become, no matter how bad you do, if, if you became the worst person in the history of the world by doing bad stuff, but you always told the truth when asked, at least everybody knew they could trust you. They may not trust you with their money. <laughs> they may not trust you with their stuff. But they at least know that you won't lie. So what I would ask you is what can you be trusted with? Can you be trusted with the truth? Where you don't lie. I'm telling you, man, that's the one thing. Uh, here's, I almost whooped a kid yesterday that wasn't my kid. So if you ever send your kids over to my house, I'm just telling you if you lie in my house, it doesn't matter who you are or how old you are, you're getting a whooping. I'm just waiting for an adult to lie to me in my own house. I know you're lying. <laughs> like that is like my kids know this. That you can get out a lot of stuff, but the moment you lie, the moment you lie, because at that point, that is now I can't trust you. Can you be trusted with the truth? See, this is character. This is a part of when you start saying, I want to follow Jesus, the thing that he was more, uh, he was more uh, interested in is who you were becoming than what you could speak on or how well you could speak it. He wanted to know that you would become a godly person. That you would set the example for those around. That's before you ever see if you're going to be a great teacher or not. So the first thing that he taught them was this Beatitudes. Now, in Matthew's version, I really love Matthew's version. He goes into more detail than what Luke does. Luke is a historian. He's just given a quick rundown of this. And, and, but, but, the, but we're sticking with this one right here. So he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. You shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and they exclude you and revile you or insult you and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. He's not just the people who hate you or insult you, but they're doing it because of the name of Christ. Don't miss that part. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven and in the manner of... Uh, for in the man, this, like the manner uh, their fathers did to the prophets. So here's what he's saying. I want you to understand the word blessed is makarios. It means made happy by the extension of another. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. I will make you happy when, you're, when, when, when you are hungry. I will become your happiness when you're hungry. I will become your happiness when you are in sorrow. You know, one of the things that was really hard is, is during our time of grief. And, and we're still grieving. It still hits us all the time. But one of the things that I, I, I actually can look forward to is when I'm grieving over Malachi, I know what comes next. Do you know what comes next? Comfort from God. So when I'm grieving, I know what comes next. So even in my grief, I can still smile because I know what comes next. The comfort from God. A comfort that only He can give. So... He says rejoice. This is a passive. It's eris passive. Passive means this. He is the one who's causing me to rejoice. It's not me just, hey, I'm hungry today, so I'm going to be really happy about that. Who is, right? If you don't have any food, you're not really that happy about it. What he's saying is this. I will make you happy, and I will bring you joy. Because I am your reward. A homeless man was once found on a bench and he was smiling. And a person came up and said, I just, I don't, why are you smiling? You have nothing. And the man looks up and he's smiling and he goes, I have bread. I have water. 
little measly bottle of water and a little piece of bread, and he says, and I have Jesus, what else could I want? But many people who have so much more than that miss it. A couple of things about having joy. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations of various kinds. So even James tells us, he tells us to have joy when we have trials. Now he also says, he goes on to say, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And he taught that, that that pain, the trial, suffering, it has a purpose with it. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 4.13, he says, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, For Christ's sake I delight in weakness and insults and hardships, persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. He's not talking about his own strength. He's realizing that in his weakness, God becomes his strength. You see, so many times when we begin to struggle, we just give up. We throw our hands in the air and then we think that something is wrong, like God is, is broken somehow. Well, he goes on and then he begins in these, in these, he says now, he says, but woe to you who are rich. You have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you who, when men, men speak well of you, for so did their fathers of the false prophets. Understand that it is not evil or a sin if you are rich. But if you are trying to fulfill your life out of riches, that's a woe. Understand the word woe is not about sin, it's an exclamation of grief. Because most, here, here's, the, here's the truth about money, a, a big truth, that usually people who are poor and don't have much to give actually give a higher percentage of what they have to God than people who are rich. Yes, the person who is rich gives a larger amount and looks more impressive but when you look at the percentage of overall what they have and what they gave, it doesn't compare. All the rich people, my favorite story about giving is actually when, when Jesus is sitting there with the disciples and all the Pharisees were dropping gold coins and they're just dropping it, making sure everybody saw how much they were given that day and a little widow walks over and puts in a copper point, coin, a little copper penny. Didn't have any value and he says, I tell you the truth today, she gave more than anyone. She's forever written in the Bible as the one who gave more. He says she gave out of her poverty. He, they, gave out of their riches. God knows the difference. But a lot of times, the motive or the motivation behind it, that's why he was always warning rich people to be, make sure that they're very generous to not allow the riches to, 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 to take them down a road of evil. Well, that's not all he told them. He began to talk about loving enemies. He, uh, and, and this I'm going up backwards because I want it to look like a stair, right? So I'm starting at the bottom working up. That's why there's an arrow there. But here's what he says to, to the next group of people. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray to those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other as well. And to him who takes your cloak... 
And do not withhold your tunic either. Give to the one who asks, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, also do to them likewise. That's what he's saying. He says, love your enemies. Love the unlovable. Love the person. How do you love the person who's hurt you the most? See, this is his teaching. He's saying, listen, you want to be my disciple. You want to be my student. you got to be like me. Did Jesus love his enemies? Yes! He's not asking us to do anything he didn't already do. He says, I want you to love the enemies. I loved my enemies. That's what he's saying. He says, I want you to do good to those who hate you. I want you to pray for those who mistreat you. I want you to bless those who curse you. That's what he's saying. This is remarkable because he did it. So what he's saying is, you're my student. I want you to follow this too. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. Well, he then goes on a little bit further here, and he begins to say, he says, now, give to uh, everyone. I already said that part. Okay, let's get down. Yes. Uh, let's see. Verse 32. There we go. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even the sinners love those who love them. What he, gets, he now goes through the same list, and he's basically saying, listen, if you only love those who love you, that's the easy part, right? Loving those who love you, and even those who love you. When you think about it, anybody that's married, even loving the one who loves you is sometimes hard. Right? So here's the thing is, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? How are you different than anyone else? How are you different than the sinner? How are you different than the pagan? Because even the pagan loves the other pagans that love them. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. That, watch. Then. See, that then. He's, what he's saying is this. You want a great reward. You want to live a life that's going to get you a great reward. Love them. Do good to them. Lend without expecting anything. Then your reward will be great. Look. And you will be sons of the Most High. What Jesus is saying is He is the Son of the Most High. He says you want to be like the Son of the Most High? Then you've got to live like the Son of the Most High. Come on, somebody. Thank you. Because, see, this is because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Well, he's not done touch teaching his disciples. <laughs> now he says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. In good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put to your bosom. Uh, for the same measure you use, it will be used for you. So he says, he now gives them a series. They don't, they're not all related. He says, judge and, ju don't, don't, you know, judge and you won't be judged. Okay? What, what self-righteousness is, is that when we start comparing ourselves to others, well, I might be a sinner, but I'm not bad as somebody else. That's judgment. Because what you're trying to do is get off the hook with God by making yourself not as bad. My sin's not as bad as that person's sin, so I must be doing good. No, when you're judged, you're judged according to God's righteousness, not to the next person's righteousness. That's the hard part. So he says, don't judge anybody else. Based, you're not the judge. God is the judge. You just... And how many times do we, we do that? It's not even our business. Now, as a pastor, there's sometimes I have to say, man, I love you enough to call you out, 
Don't judge me. I'm not judging you. There is a judge. I'm trying to keep you from his bad side. Grow up a little bit. All right. Don't condemn, but forgive. And you, what happens if I, look, look at this. What happens if I don't forgive? Look at it. Forgive and you will be forgiven. What if I don't forgive? So when he's, when, when he's not playing a game in his teaching, he's saying, listen, I need you to forgive. I need you to not judge. You're not here to condemn. When people are living in sin, their sin's already condemning them. They, they, they already stand condemned. They don't need your condemnation. They need your love. Give, and it'll be given. <laughs> Give, and it'll be given. You know, when I think about that, I think the one area that we, there's two areas that we don't like God to meddle in. Our forgiveness, don't tell me to forgive, and don't tell me to give. I'll do it if I want to. Don't get in my money. Maybe that's woe to you who is rich part, right? I once said, I really, as a pastor, I didn't like talking about money. What I actually like to do is I like to confront the issues that we have. I don't really care about how much money or how much money, you know, it, money is money. It, it happens. You know what, to me, it's a piece of paper with a, guy's, a dead guy's face on it. I mean, it's a piece of paper, Right? So, but the thing is, is that we get so worked up over that dollar. Don't tell me what to do with my money. But you realize, I, 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 my mentor once said, Daniel, he goes, why don't you talk about tithing? Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Everybody gets mad when you start talking about money and they leave the church. <laughs> well, I'm saying that the ones that get mad are the ones that, that aren't doing it. You know, if they're doing it, they're not going to be mad at you, right? So the only ones that's going to get mad is the ones you're actually confronting with it. But here's the deal. Do you actually care about your people? I'm like, I love the people. I don't want them to leave. If you care about them, don't you want them to be blessed? Well, yeah, I want them to be blessed. Do you want them to be cursed? No, I don't want them to be cursed. Then you need to teach about tithing. Because it's the only place in the Bible where it says God says, test me. Test me. Bring your tithe and see if I won't bless you. But if you're stealing from God and robbing Him, no wonder we've got an issue. So, give, and it'll be given. And I love how he goes on to say, in the same measure, if you give a lot, God's going to give a lot. If you give a little, you're going to get a little. In the same measure. Do you think that, so is God the king of all or not? Well, is, he a man of, is he faithful to his own word or not? So if God's word says, test me, bring the whole tithe, and I'll bless you so much you can't hold it, then why are we withholding? If we know what God's word says, do it! He then talks about a good tree. He says here, a good tree, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. You are going to be known by your fruit, guys. People don't have to be around you very long to see what kind of fruit's coming out of your mouth. Your mouth is a dead giveaway. In fact, Zeb always seems really smart. I think he's smart. I mean, you don't know because he doesn't talk a lot. But he's brilliant because he doesn't talk a lot. You don't know. So there's always like, I think he's smart. He sure doesn't do what I do and put my foot in my mouth every 10 seconds. He's way smarter than me. What? There's a statement you used to say all the time. Do you remember what it was? (laughs) 
I would rather people what think than open my mouth and remove all doubt. I love it. <laughs> all right. So then he begins to go on. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good he's storing in his So what happens is this. You're going to either store good or you're going to store bad in your heart. And then what happens is now it's going to start coming out of your mouth. So when people hear you talk, it doesn't take very long for you to figure out when somebody's bitter, does it? It doesn't take very long for you to figure out if they're angry. It doesn't take you very long to figure out if they're perverted. It doesn't take you very long to figure out if they're greedy or, or jealous, right? It doesn't because out of their heart, the mouth speaks. And that's what he's saying. Out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. This is all what he's teaching his disciples. You want to be my student, here it is. This is what I expect. Is it hard? We're already seeing some areas that we probably need to work on. Well, he's not done. So then he compares a wise man to a foolish man. He then goes in and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? This is probably one of the most powerful parts because of this. He's saying, why do you call me Lord? Why do you come to me? Have you heard, how many times have you heard a preacher say, hey, you want to be saved? All you got to do is confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, right? How many of you have heard all you have to do? I don't say all you have to do because here's the problem. A lot of people can say, Lord, Jesus is Lord. And he says, why do you call me Lord and not do? See, I want you to understand that when we're talking about being a disciple, being a follower of Christ, he's not saying, hey, you know, we, we, you, you, I'm, he's, he's being straightforward with this. Why do you call, how can I be the Lord of your life and you not actually follow me? How can he be the Lord of your life and you don't follow him? Let me even put it back into the own terms. How can he be the Lord of your life when you won't and refuse to forgive? Refuse to give. Refuse to love your enemies. Refuse to pray for those who have hurt you. See, how can he be my Lord when I refuse all of the things that he taught me? Getting hard, isn't it? Good. It's challenging. We need to be challenged. We need to grow. So he says, uh, he's like a man. He says, I'm going to show you what he's like. I'm going to show you what he's like, the wise man who listens to my words, puts them into practice. He's like a man who, who, who built a, a, was building a house and dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock when the flood came. Winds tore. The torrent showed up. Would not shake it. Now, in Matthew's version, I am going to share this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you said Lord does not make you going to heaven. He says, but look, look what I, look what, this is, this, you can get mad at me all you want. I'm just a messenger. Think about it. How many mailmen probably get punched because of the mail that they're delivering? It's, it's, they're handing the mail off, all right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only, but only, but only he who does the will of my Father. Is that getting serious enough? It's not my words, my friends. It's not my words. This is the word of God. He says, many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive demons out in your name? Did we not even perform miracles in your name? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. 
There's going to be people who preached in the name of Jesus, drove out demons in the name of Jesus, who will stand before Jesus and say, hey, I did all of this in your name. And he's like, I don't know who you are. You and me, we don't have a relationship. I'm not really your Lord. You just used my name in your life. Big difference, isn't it? James tells us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He's saying, if you will live out the word of God as a true student of the Christ, your life's going to be blessed because of it. That Makarios word comes back. James chapter 2, what good is it? If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save him? Now we're meddling. A couple verses later, it says, Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. A couple verses later, you believe? You say you believe that there is a God? Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, I think a lot of times what happens in our lives is that we, we don't want to go to hell, but we don't really want to surrender our lives to following Christ. It's kind of like, I, I want to, I, I don't want to go to hell because I do believe all this stuff, but I really don't want to forgive. I don't want to give. I don't want to, 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 to let go of the anger I'm storing in my life. I don't want to let go of my addictions. I don't want to do, and, and what we start doing is we're basically kind of saying, God, I want to go to heaven, but I want to go to heaven on my terms. Come on, don't we do that? Start bartering with God. God's not bartering. There's not a bargain to be made here. It's this is it. You can be my student and follow me, but if we really want to be a student, he's like, this is it. He teaches us, and the character begins to develop. So what I'm asking you to do is this. Pick, pick something out of that long list that we preached on. Pick something out of that and say, oh, God, I need to work on that, right? I need to work on that. God, I need to work on this piece. And God, I know I need to work on it. And so God, you know what? I'm not going to just say, man, I needed to hear this. I'm going to go home and do it. So let me, just, let me just ask this. Let's have a very honest moment. How many of you would say there's something that was read today that you need to work on? How many of us have something that we could work on? So most of you are not, most of you understand you're not perfect. There's a few of us, we got to work. So, so, so here's what I want you to do is I want you, 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 the Lord caused you to hear something today where you know that you're in a wrong place. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Let's go home and do what God's word says. Whatever it takes, do the right thing. So let's bow our heads. So what I'm asking you See, I, I love how the Holy Spirit works. The Bible says that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin. It's not my job to convict you. It's just my job to teach the Word. If you feel any conviction of anything today, that means the Holy Spirit is trying to talk to you. I want you to think about what that means. That God Himself right now is trying to talk to you. If you feel any conviction, man, there is something that I need to change in your life, that is God pleading with your heart to make a change. Make a change.
to make a change. Student is not above his teacher, but it is enough for the student to be like his teacher. As we begin to see all the ways that God lived, how Jesus lived his life out before us, he's inviting you. What an invitation. He's inviting you to live just like he did. To love just like he did. To forgive just like he did. You're being invited to the greatest love story ever to be written. So I'm asking you to surrender something else today. Something that is in the way of how Jesus didn't live. And you know that. You know how he lived. And now there's something that needs to change. So right now, if you need to come to the altar and lay it down, Lord, I hear you. I hear you convicting me. God, I need to repent. I need to change this part of my life. Come on, don't wait for somebody else. If that is you and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and you feel Him nudging you to get up out of your seat, do it. Don't look around. Don't wait for somebody else. 